0: Here at IMC, we believe half of financial literacy is about knowledge. Now, that other half, now that's lifestyle. It's the way you live. It's the way you move. So together, we are going to demystify this good old world of finance and wealth building through our intentional guests and dialogue. Make sure you subscribe, stay tuned, and of course, stay planted. Good people, good people. We are back for another IMC recap. Super excited for today. Make sure you subscribe, share, like, comment. This is going to be a good one. Now, if you checked out our recap from yesterday, I gave a really a sneak peek of what's to come. So we are doing a reaction video to Anthony Pompliano, um, who is very influential when it pertains to macroeconomics, even around the cryptocurrency space. Been a huge leader and innovator when it pertains to the application of Bitcoin um, and really the future of it. Now, there was a uh, clip of a video that I stumbled upon that I felt like needed some perspective. Um, So, with that being said, I do want to start out by saying that this is going to talk about um, some things around policy and politics. I am not red. I'm not blue. I'm not Democrat. I'm not Republican. I don't. uh, uh, uh. We're just talking about green here, right? But it is in the context of some of the policies uh, that will be discussed. So um, let's just jump right into it. All right, let's do it. All right, hold on. I got to be a millennial. Let me share my screen. Just one second. Someone called me an old millennial the other day. I don't even know that existed. (laughs) All right, turn up your radio. Let's do it
1: that the government wants to do is UBI, Universal Basic Income. And many people through the last 12, 15, 18 months thought that these stimulus payments was a testing ground. You know what, let's give 1200 bucks. Let's give $600. Let's give $1,400 checks. All in all, if you were in the top bracket for stimulus payments, you basically got $3,200 in three separate installments over the last 12, 15 months. Now, the problem with this, from people who are critics of universal basic income, is that if you guarantee someone that you are going to give them free money, you do not have to have a job, you do not have to work, you do not have to do anything productive, you simply can get a check from the government every single month. They're not incentivized to go get a job, duh, right? If you don't incentivize people to go to work, then they're not going to go to work. Like it's not hard to figure that out. Incentives drive the world. Now, what we've seen is during the period where there were stimulus checks, where there was boosters for unemployment and there was generally increased government support, whether that was through eviction moratoriums, student loan, uh, uh, lack of payments, etc. cetera people did not want to go to work. And so what ended up happening was companies had to keep increasing.
0: All right. So let's take a pause right there. Um, one of the stark differences or my immediate, um, we'll just say disagreement with this posture is that one, the notion of free money. Um, this is not taken to consideration the fact that people lost their jobs, um, their employer could not operate, so they could not be paid. So it wasn't the fact that they said, Oh, you know what? I'm just going to sit back and not make any money. People literally lost their jobs. Um, so to commingle the results of the stimulus checks and to say that this is a test case for the guaranteed universal basic income model, that is a very incomplete perspective Due to the way that the pandemic has wrapped its arms around this economy and the ecosystem, um, because this was proposed in the 1960s, we got to shout out Martin Luther King Jr. on being the the leader on all of this. Um, and it did not take into account, hey, in the midst of a pandemic, this is when we should, you know, release this, right? I think this really highlights the the amount of Americans that are financially unstable. Right. Even prior to the pandemic, there were there was data that was shared that forty four percent of Americans in the event of a four hundred dollar emergency would not be able to take care of that expense. Now, when we talk about some of the government assistance um, that was mentioned by Pomp here shortly, the purpose of the eviction moratorium, as we know, was to combat the immediate impact of the of the pandemic. Right. One, to reduce the um, the spread of the virus. Right. So it was necessary to control that as much as possible but due to the economic impact on the businesses having to reduce hours or even unfortunately shut down um, themselves, the households of and their employees were also impacted, right? And so if a restaurant is shut down, the uh, local vendors the that come and clean the facility, they don't have a, a job, The even the local band, right? They can't even come and perform. So there is a domino effect depending upon the industry you're in. That the pandemic has yet to even truly impact, but again, the eviction moratorium that was put in place, and even states um, um, and cities receive resources for rental assistance for their residents. Now, if we look at the situation you laid out, you know, households or individuals receive roughly twelve to uh, roughly thirty-two hundred dollars in, we'll say, over a span of twelve to eighteen months. Out of the forty-six billion dollars provided for rental assistance. As of mid-July, 26 states have allocated less than 10% of that money. So it didn't even show up. So this $3,200 over a course of a 12-month period or even an 18-month period, that's a drop in the bucket because individuals lost their job. It is not safe to say and assume that everyone that lost their job uh, was approved for unemployment because there was some funny business going on there as well. Um, So again, to say that the $3,200 is free money or it's a test case for universal basic income, it's pretty much equivalent to this. So those, you can see my football jersey behind me. Um, Those that play collegiate sports and and, and if there is an away game and you take the bus, and I'm just going to speak to football because you got multiple buses. So the bus you sit on typically indicates, um, you know, First team, second team, third team of that nature, right? How much playing time you're going to get. So imagine that there is a football game and there's a team traveling and bus one gets into a wreck and they cannot make the game. So the uh, um, bus two and three have to show up, play the game. They're not their starters, not their top tier athletes, and they lose the game. Is it fair to say that the other team is better than the team uh, that didn't have all of their players there? not necessarily right because bus one wasn't able to make it to the game so it wasn't a wasn't a fair evaluation that is the same analogy in the same situation when I hear this in regards of the guaranteed basic income model being tested in the midst of a pandemic that's that's not that's not that's just not right that's just not right so let's keep rolling let's keep rolling
1: the amount of pay. so you could argue that the outcome of companies paying employees more ended up being good but what companies then did was they turned around and they took the higher cost of labor the higher cost of the actual materials for their products and services and they passed it on to the customer and they increased prices what ended up occurring is well the government handed out free money and took two the to, to, to thirty two hundred dollars per person
0: in some cases <laughs> look how upset he gets when he says free money <laughs> <laughs> oh. those people
1: are worse off today than they were before their hourly job actually pays them less hour returns than
0: it did That's assuming they still have that job, right? Like there's a number of assumptions, like there wasn't a disruption in the full economy within the last 12, 18 months, right? And so to just silo the guaranteed basic income into uh review the data, factual data, which you're speaking of, and to say that this is a test case to, to show that it's not um um uh it will not provide the type of impact intended short term in an incomplete perspective the cost of living
1: based on the official cpi numbers which we know to be inaccurate
0: that's a fact
1: increase the cost of living by 5.4 percent it is nuts how this is happening there is a new bill that is proposed in congress that would send monthly payments or the new terminology guaranteed income of up to 1200 for adults and 600 for children Following a pilot program across the United States, is proposed on Friday. It's known as the Sending Unconditional Payments to People Overcoming Resistance to Triumph, which is a crazy name called the Support Act. And the plan is quote designed to build a 21st century economy that is reflective of Americans' everyday needs. They definitely went back and wrote that name after thinking of the acronym Support, right? Of course. <laughs> By the way. I also pride myself on being able to take complex ideas and turn them into simplistic language.
0: Okay, the sending
1: unconditional payments to people overcoming resistances to triumph can be translated to socialism. That's what this is. It is people depending on their government to give them free money for nothing. And when you turn a capitalistic, upstart, hungry, innovative, economic prosperity-driven country into a socialistic society where people are dependent on the government. We do not have a single example anywhere in the world where that has proven to be a sustainable strategy.
0: Pump to your point, I don't know about that example that has produced um, that sustainable strategy that you're speaking of, Uh, but let's check this out real quick. For example,
2: Adam signed a bill to fund a new football stadium Raider owner Mark Davis was there cheering the signature Davis should cheer his team got almost a billion dollars for his new stadium I don't have any problem with them building a stadium I just don't know why I have to pay for it or why taxpayers must pay for the very best on the artistic side we've towards the, the analogy of a, a black sports car
1: that has these flowing lines we created the, the moving field that moves in and out of the building in one piece. Mark Davis was adamant that the Raiders would be playing
2: on natural grass. Since Davis demanded that, why didn't he pay for it? I'm not a billionaire. (laughs) No, he and his mom own half the Raiders, which are valued at $3 billion. Welcome to the Death Star. The gift to Davis wasn't even unusual. Politicians screw taxpayers to build stadiums for lots of billionaires, like the Minnesota Vikings own. Here's this person who has all this money that could perfectly well build his own stadium asking the taxpayers to build the stadium for them. And taxpayers keep paying. The Santa Clara City Council committed redevelopment money for a new 49ers football stadium. For billionaire after billionaire. But the taxpayers often vote for this stuff, so they must like it. They often do, but they're promised there's going to be all these jobs, not only at the stadium, but at the hotels that are going to rise up around the stadium. Yes, there are always promises that the public investment will return more and benefits to taxpayers. But it's not true. Research shows stadiums cost taxpayers much more than the benefits they provide. (laughs) Politicians also give your money. There are companies that promise jobs. Ohio politicians gave millions in tax credits to General Motors to keep this factory open. Then GM closed the plant and had the gall to argue, Let us keep the money, because cash preservation is important to protect our workforce in Ohio. So the politicians let GM keep a third of the money. Wisconsin gave billions in tax breaks to Foxconn, because it promised to create 13,000 jobs. But then they didn't provide those jobs. They provided a few hundred jobs. If you look at the cost of each job, it was a million dollars. Actually, more than a million. Often politicians justify this welfare for the rich by saying, well, we didn't give cash, just tax breaks. But think about it. If some big company is in that town and they are not paying property tax, that means every other taxpayer is covering for them because fire departments still have to be paid for. Police departments still have to be paid for. Schools still have to be paid for. I think he's literally trying.
0: So as we all know, there are huge subsidies. Um, depending upon the industry that you're in. Uh, the young lady that you saw speaking, she wrote a book uh, with uh, Phil Harvey. They actually did a deep dive, I wanna say a four to five year process where they analyze the many ways that federal and state governments uh, provide handout subsidies, grants, tax credits, loan guarantees, price supports, and many other payouts to millionaires, billionaires, uh, and the companies they own and run, right? And so that covers, all across the board, all the way down to tech industries, from the Apple, the Google. Um, and if you follow Tesla heavily, heavily, Tesla has been leveraging those, those subsidies. But what's interesting is that I wonder if they call the trillion dollar bailout of Wall Street socialism. I wonder if they call the nearly trillion dollar oil and gas subsidies subs- socialism. I wonder if they call the billion dollar. Uh, pharma bailout, socialism. But when it pertains to healthcare, wages, food, or even poor people, socialism. So I'm not here to beat up the term. I just want to make sure that we look at both sides of the coin. Um, Definitely not depreciating what the job opportunities that are provided through Uh, stadiums being built. If you follow our planning podcast, we actually covered this and the subsidies and the opportunities that it provides with it. But ultimately, this is part of the conversations that happen behind the scenes that unfortunately, you don't know unless you either do the research or you understand the policy or you understand their their overall business model. Let's keep rolling.
1: And so the idea here of this new bill is that it would begin with a $2.5 billion grant that would be used in pilot programs across the U.S., to be studied from 2023 to 2027. Why 2.5 billion? Nobody knows. Why do we have to wait till 2023 to start? Nobody knows. Why would we only study it for four years? Nobody knows. But after reviewing the findings and best practices, the government could then implement the program in 2028. Don't worry, folks, hold on. The government's coming to save you in seven years. This would establish an Office of Guaranteed Income Programs, and the Treasury Department would oversee the payments. There have been dozens of pilot programs that have been approved in various places already, but critics of the program say would disincentivize work. Is there any possibility that the United States moves to a universal basic income model? Well, I wouldn't put it out of the question depending on who's in government, but we already saw those same uh, effects that you just mentioned, the downside of disincentivizing people to work. We literally just saw it play out with unemployment benefits. When you raise that rate of unemployment benefits to higher than people were receiving at their current job, it disincentivizes them to go back to work. Why would you go back to work if you're making more money from the government than you were making previously, right? So
0: Another question is, how do we know they still had that work available? Let's keep rolling.
1: Just, uh, from an incentive standpoint, it doesn't make much sense. And then you just start, you start thinking about people thinking that the, the government is going to come save them, right? how you mentioned, and that's just not how the United States was built in the economic power that we are. You have to incentivize people to go to work, to innovate, to create jobs and expand their businesses. And universal basic income does not do that here within the United States.
0: Now I like Joe, Joe drops a ton of, uh, knowledge and information around the sports, but I do think his comments, um, does it take into consideration some of the ways in which the government has played a role? Um, because we do have to highlight that the characteristics and the metrics and the qualifications to be able to receive a stimulus check, those typically line up in the black neighborhoods, right? And so I'm not going to make this a race conversation we just speak of facts, right? And so um, with that being said, there are a number of events that have created the uh, not only the ecosystem of that community, but unfortunately the malnourishment of that community when it pertains to the finances and their ability to participate in a free enterprise system. Um, so hearing that comment, I, I immediately think about, I wonder if they're familiar with redlining. Like, I wonder if they're familiar with the role the government played, again, <clears throat> the government is not here to be the savior. We're not saying that. And we're we're not here to say the government needs to provide everything. They're definitely not saying that. But to say that this economy was built in a uh, um, fair way, um, that's just a no. That, that definitely does not acknowledge the role the government played um, historically. You know what? Let's quickly look at Let's quickly look at um, a forgotten history. So this is an article back in 2017, how the U.S. government segregated America. Um, And again, not getting into race too much, but again, we're just looking at the facts. So in 1933, faced with the housing shortage, the federal government began a program explicitly designed to increase and segregate America's housing stock. So this was a state-sponsored system. And so uh, the author here, he has a book called The Color of Law. He gets into the details, but ultimately he examines the local and state federal housing policies that mandated segregation. He notes that the Federal Housing Administration, which was established in 1934, furthered segregation efforts by refusing to insure mortgages in and near African-American neighborhoods or black neighborhoods, a policy known as redlining. At the same time, the FHA was subsidizing builders who were mass producing entire subdivisions for whites with the requirement that none of the homes be sold to who? Black folks, African-Americans. Let's keep rolling. So this decade's uh, old policy um, is having lasting effects, as you can imagine. Let's keep rolling. All right. So the term redlining comes from the development by the new deal, by the who federal government, uh, of maps of every metropolitan area in the country. And those maps were color coded by the, uh, the first by first, the homeowner's loan corporation, then the federal housing administration, and then adopted by the VA, the veterans administration. And these color codes were designed to indicate where it was safe to insure mortgages and anywhere where black folks live and anywhere where black folks live nearby were color, uh, were colored red to indicate two appraisers that neighbor that these neighborhoods were too risky to insure mortgages. Now some of the long term impact, and I'm just going to give some of this macro data. But today, African Americans' incomes, uh, on average, are about sixty percent of of average of white incomes. Uh, but African I'm just going to say black folks. But black folks' wealth is about five percent of uh, white folks' wealth. Excuse my Friday vernacular most middle-class families in this country gain their wealth from what? The equity they have in their homes. So this enormous difference between a 60% income ratio and a 5% wealth ratio is almost entirely attributable to the federal housing policy implemented through the 20th century. So this was in 2017. It so had nothing to do with the pandemic. This is already showing the issues within certain communities that the pandemic actually exacerbated right, due to its focus on their wages in some form of fashion. So again, me hearing free money and knowing the historical context of the communities that were hit the the hardest is very difficult for me to digest some of the words in the posture that they have. I don't think this one is is with uh, ill intent. I think it's just one that may not have um, all the perspectives at the table. Let's keep rolling.
1: One of the pieces of this that uh, is underrated, in my opinion, is this is going to happen. We absolutely are going to get universal basic income in this country. I don't like it. I don't think we should do it, but we're going to get there. Why? Because you know what the greatest political campaign in the world is to people who constantly feel like they can't get ahead? Don't worry. I'll just give you free money. Yeah. The people who are shepherding and encouraging and advocating for this type of program are the exact same people who are going to go to those that are in the most dire need financially. And that's their pitch. I'll give you free money. Vote for me. You know what it's equivalent to? Remember in high school or middle school when there was the student body president vote and they walked around and they gave candy to everyone and it was a popularity contest? That's what this is because they don't know the other impact of it. They don't understand what it does to them, right? When you look at it from an inflation standpoint, giving people free money, not only from an incentive perspective, of going to get a job, but from what it actually does to the monetary policy in the country, right?
0: That's a fact, Joe. That's a great bar. There is the uh that increase in money within the, the whole system does, of course, um drive inflation. And so that type of uh employment setup that they may have, which may be hourly if they don't get a raise. Um, that eats into their ability to be able to participate in some of the discretionary needs if it's food and, and groceries and utilities. And so, um, that's a good point when it pertains to some of the long-term impacts, but I think that's the government's job.
1: And it, and it ruins basically their, uh, it winds in the inequality of, yeah, because all these things that they don't necessarily think about, it. they're really just thinking about, Hey, I'm getting free money. Why wouldn't I do? It? How do I really
0: feel about health insurance? This is pretty frustrating. Oh, we got caught. I should have checked which ad that we got caught with an ad. I thought I could get all the way through it and not get caught with an ad. We got caught with an ad. All right, let's keep rolling. Almost done.
1: Going back to how I started off the show of I don't adhere to any political party or any one issue or anything. I agree.
2: I actually think it's a good thing in the United States that we have some forms
1: of help for people who need some portion of help, right? So, unemployment is an example. If you have a family, you get laid off from your job, you have no other option, it's a good idea that the government can help you
0: for a period
1: of time. We're the greatest country in the world. Yep, We literally are the greatest country in the world. We are more powerful than any country that's ever come before us. We should be able to help people. But 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Nuts! And so instead of those types of programs, what we are now talking about is literally having a persistent program. It doesn't matter what happens. You simply will get your check. And what I think is the most dangerous part about this is that the government is essentially bribing the people. You're giving people $1,200 every month to shut up, own nothing and be happy. That's it. That is what they're doing. And we see 45% of Americans. Hold no investable assets. It's crazy. And those 45% of Americans are worse off today than they were last year because of the devaluation of the currency. And so, where are we going to get billions and billions, if not tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, right? What would it be? How many US adults are there times 1,200?
0: Real quick. So, let's look at the welfare system because ultimately that is what is being discussed in some form of fashion. When you look at all federal welfare programs, um, let us let me step back. Anything that you can use, you can abuse. Someone right now is using a hammer to build a house. Unfortunately, someone right now may be using a hammer to abuse someone. So that is ubiquitous, regardless of what we're talking about, in regards of someone either wasting or abusing a, an initiative program um, or, or a particular utility. So if we look at all the federal uh, welfare programs. There is always going to be waste, fraud, and abuse. Ultimately, a majority of the people would actually rather not be on welfare but be working, but they unfortunately get stuck in the system. The value of the benefits are so great; it's tough for them to find a match in regards of an employment that will allow them to get into the workforce to still provide for, and still pay for those benefits. So, it definitely varies in regards of the type of helpful assistance. Um, and I, and to your point, it definitely should be a short term in nature, but when you think about the single mother that may have young children, um, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, navigate, uh, within the system of welfare because you get assistance with housing, food, medical care, utility assistance, cell phone assistance, and, if you, actually, if you actually try to go get a job, you lose those benefits, right? And so you don't get out of poverty by going on welfare. You get out of poverty by getting a job. But we have to be clear, the issue isn't the people accepting the benefits. It's the system set up by the government that doesn't allow them to mobilize themselves. So I agree with your notion when it pertains to the um type of incentives an individual should have to be able to mobilize themselves and their family, but we also have to hold the government accountable on the on the environment they created in the role they created by uh um, in the mindset they have uh ultimately established by the community's lack of resources and access and opportunities. Let's keep rolling.
1: 100 dollars see see what that math is. Google how many U.S. adults we have, and then what would it be if we gave each one of them $1,200? We had Ken Langone, a multi-billionaire on television last week or two weeks ago, saying to Elizabeth Warren, why are you sending me Social Security? A multi-billionaire is receiving Social Security checks. It's bonkers to me that these programs are set up the way that they're set up. And if we continue to simply give free money, you will not only hurt the people you're giving the money to, you will not only hurt the people who don't receive any of the money, but you also will go further and further and further into a federal debt situation that cannot be corrected. $250.8 billion. $250 billion per year, $1,200 per month times 210 million 18, adults, 18 and over. And then children could get six hundred. So over two hundred and fifty billion dollars a year, this program would cost. And we can't figure out where to pay for anything. Remember the <laughs> Ted Cruz quote: "Literally, we're talking about legislative things we don't understand."
0: Real quick, I appreciate the quick and dirty math, fellas. Um, but it was actually one hundred and sixty-seven million dollars. Excuse me, one hundred and sixty-seven million individuals that received the check. So, you know, you probably could alter your the. Uh, valuation a bit
1: with money. We don't have to pay for things. We can't afford exact same thing here. And so what I think is probably the craziest part of this entire idea is that we just talked about how the free market actually was able to increase wages faster than the government has been able to increase federal minimum wage. My guess is if the United States government and the politicians looked at this and said, we cannot use legislation as the tool in our toolbox to affect change. Instead, we are here as servants of the entrepreneurs, the small business owners, and the citizens of our districts, our states and our country. And we're going to do everything we possibly can do to empower them to solve their problems and then get the hell out of the way. We would already be in a better position. There would be much less poverty in this country there would be a better financial position and it would start. Because we would take the 45% of Americans who hold no investable assets and we would teach them financial education. Hey, we on the same page. You can't tell me that a country that is thinking about mandating universal basic income but refuses to mandate personal income in every single school in the country has its priorities right.
0: I'm with you on that, Pump. I will say this. We actually talked about this as a company when the universal basic income conversation became more... Relevant, Of course, Andrew Yang uh, spoke about it when it pertains to his presidency uh, run. Uh, But ultimately, we knew that this type of cash infusion would be helpful for the residents, but it would only be transactional um, 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 if you do not include the consultants or a professional to help guide them make the right decisions. Hall of Famer Deion Sanders says, if you look good, you play good. Here at The Planning Podcast, we believe that proper money management is important. And we also know that being financially fit represents the way in which you live. Now, just by listening to this podcast, you are part of the movement. And one of the most critical aspects of this is the way in which we spell planning. The A is replaced with the delta sign. And those that are familiar with mathematics, delta represents change. A very consistent theme that we noticed that regardless of the objective, big or small, if you want any change to occur, for the better, you're going to have to start planning. Be sure to check out our merchandise at www.stayplanning.com. S-T-A-Y-P-L-A-N-N-I-N-G. We'll see you there. So one of the natural resources that those that are wealthy or those that may have access to wealth um uh is um, uh, the ability to speak to a professional to not only guide them to where the factual information is but also to help them execute so this in this cash infused uh uh we'll just say proposal could yield not a transactional result but a transformational type of result if we align the people that can guide them with the decisions that will allow them to be able to go from one tax bracket to another. So I do agree with the uh, the way in which we could co-mingle the two. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a binary type situation, one or the other. Uh, but financial literacy and financial education, let me go and just say this on record, should be in every school throughout the country, elementary All the way up. Did I don't even know if I said that right? Elementary school, all the way up to collegiate.
1: Because the old adage of you can fish for someone, but you're better off teaching them how to fish is true here as well. How do you solve the problem by simply handing somebody money instead of teaching them how to thrive on their own? Well, and the other thing too is the two hundred and fifty billion dollars. That's you're quoting as per year. Some of them want to give twelve hundred dollars per month, and that's three trillion dollars a year. Wait, the two fifty billion was only a one time payment of twelve hundred? Yeah. So oh, if you look at on per month, million, multiply that by twelve million people. Yeah, multiply that by twelve, and it's three trillion dollars a year if you gave every U.S. American adult twelve hundred dollars a month, which is what they're planning. That's all So money we got. But let's be <laughs> clear, like that would be more than a ten percent increase to the federal deficit. As, as where it stands today every year. three trillion dollars a year to hand money and pay people so they don't have to work. The old ideals of hard work, etc are not dead in this country. We spend episode after episode after episode here talking about people who are immigrants, people who come from nothing, people who literally are able to take a skill that they develop and build a life of financial security and wealth. 80% of millionaires in the United States inherited $0. 33% of millionaires in the United States never made more than $100,000 in any given year. Mm. Anyone can do it in this country. But what we have to do is we...
0: That's a very fascinating uh, stat. And I'm glad that he shared that um, because there is uh, a good bit of misinformation in regards of uh, trust fund babies and wealth transfer um, on, you know, what they're able to inherit. But I do want to highlight, um, one caveat about this, uh, this, this data that he shared, you don't have to inherit $500,000 to be able to have access to it through a line of credit at a bank, right? There's a number of ways in which someone could tap into their wealth without necessarily showing it as a, uh, line item as income, right? And so, uh, there are different ways in which one could, uh, leverage their, Uh, access and their network um, and the resources that may not reflect in the form of income uh, or um, uh, cash within the bank account, but it more so may be leveraged on the utilizing the bank's money and being able to generate cash that way. So wanted to point that out. I do appreciate that stat. That's very helpful. But also uh, there is the other side of the coin of, well, that doesn't necessarily yield them not having access to wealth. Let's keep rolling. Almost done, good people. Appreciate y'all rolling with us.
1: We have to get back to teaching people financial education. It's a fact.
0: We have to get back to creating the aspirational nature
1: of come to America and you can do it too. Because when we go from an entrepreneurship driven, a capitalistic society where you get value if you create value and we turn to a government, that has zero clue what they're doing as we've seen over the last couple
0: of days with the infrastructure. I I think the government may need a little bit of assistance. Um, And as we shared earlier, just in the data of the 27 States only dispersing really less than 10% of the rent assistance for those that needed it, um, that showed some, um, some inefficiencies, right. And a lack of effectiveness. And so there's definitely need for private, companies to play a role in ensuring that the inequities are addressed within this country for sure
1: the u.s government is not likely to manage this correctly no and the u.s government is in more debt than they've ever been Yet they continue to collect more tax revenue than they've ever collected
0: we don't have a revenue problem we've got a spending problem and if you understand business even at the most simplistic form
1: if you keep increasing your revenue but you keep going further and further in debt. You should stop spending. <laughs> you should actually run a budget that is balanced. <laughs> and one of the best things you can do as a country is serve as an example for the people of which you represent.
0: Now that's a bar, Pump. You better tweet that. That's a bar.
1: Because my guess is if you had $3.5 trillion, which by the way is the new bill that today the democratic party put forward that is supposed to address poverty and climate. But my guess is that less than 20% of it will actually go to any of those causes. Mm. You would be better off taking that money, handing it directly to people, teaching them how financial education works and telling them we will never give you another dollar. Here is it getting you back to the starting line. Here is what you need to know, go forth and be prosperous.
0: Great. So appreciate everyone joining us on this uh, um, review and and recap. Again, wanted to uh, give a sneak peek on our previous recap of what we were going to uh, be looking over and discussing. I actually 100% agree that the government should not be the savior um, for the mobility of individuals, households and families. But the government should be held accountable, right, uh, for the role that it played and possibly currently playing in oppressing the ability of these communities to be able to operate and participate in a free enterprise system. Um, As we transition, I hope you guys have a great Friday. I will share this in closing. If you give a man fish, you'll be able to feed him for a day. If you teach him how to fish, You'll be able to feed them for a lifetime, as Pomp said. But this is where we are transitioning our clients and, and hopefully those that, all the planners out there that are listening. But if we could show you how to buy the pond, <laughs> no one in your family will know what struggle is. I hope you have a good Friday. Make sure you subscribe, like, comment, and share. And as you know, stay planning.